This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we revisit sci-fi, fantasy, and just plain weird shows. This week, The Astronaut. We need a stand-in, Eddie. Someone to keep the illusion alive, to keep the program alive. Do you understand the desperation of what I'm saying? Yes, sir, I do, but... (sighs) What good would I be? Sir, I'd be in over my head. We train you, Eddie, day and night. We'll give you the background to pull it off. Well, all right, yeah, but my face, it's just not the same. We can make it the same. We have that capability. Surgery? Plastic injection, if we get that far. Wow, you've uh, really thought of everything. Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that NASA doesn't want you to know about. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? I'll tell you what's real, Luke. I'd carve your name on a tree on Mars any day. Oh, isn't that sweet? You're so sweet to me. That's like the uh, the central point of this uh, this whole thing when you break it down. This whole TV show. carving carving uh, someone's name on Mars. The love that one has for another is manifested in it's a love story. In, in carving, yeah, uh, carving on a tree. That's the love story. That's how it's uh, reflected. Well, this week we're watching the 1972 TV movie The Astronaut. When I saw the plot of this, because I didn't really know much about it, I don't know about you. All I knew was that Harv Bennett wrote it who's becoming now like a classic person on our podcast. I only noticed that after I watched it, I was like, oh yeah, because he, he produced Gemini Man and then he did he wrote all the Star Trek movies, right? Yeah. But anyways, he's he writes everything and he wrote this. Well, he's one of the writers in this. I think he's someone who like comes in and is like, I got a great idea. What if an astronaut switched with another astronaut? All right, guys, see you guys later. Well, actually, I think because I looked a little bit into the writing team behind it too. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a story by credit to two of the writers who also are like, credited screenwriters and then a few more screenwriters are involved and both those people were uh, actors oh right i saw that as well i think yeah. one of them even wrote like death race 2000 or something so i i think maybe someone had they're like they wrote this interesting idea and then they kind of brought some more people in to like fix it up and get ready to go because neither of them ended up having like long careers as writers but it did feel like they had a great idea wrote it up and and harv bennett was like let's let's run with it i love it right didn't you think when you heard the plot of this that it seemed exactly like, remember the Johnny Depp movie, The Astronaut's Wife? Well, it's funny you mentioned that. Like, it definitely has elements of The Astronaut's Wife. But, uh, and I haven't seen this movie, but a lot of the comments I was seeing compared it also to uh, Capricorn 2. Was it called? Was that what it was called? I'm not sure. Which one's that? Um, hold on. I got the real name written down here somewhere in my notes. It was, uh, oh, Capricorn one i don't know why i called it two you were thinking of the sequel it was uh it was an oj simpson movie from like the 70s Ooh, so that has not aged well much like oj simpson he was just one of the actors in it but like it, it is about like a faked moon landing i think so something similar and you know i think we've seen this idea in other places but the idea of what happens if you have to cover something up in the space program do you think this also sort of plays in uh, the vein of that time of sort of distrust for authority that we've kind of seen simmering under the surface in a lot of these like, like late 60s, early 70s things? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, yes. Uh, we'll get into the plot, but I, I, the plot surprised me a little too. Like who the scam is on wasn't who I expected it to be on. And I should say, this is, at least in my opinion, of almost all the things we've seen, this is one of the most quiet character piece sort of uh, 
almost like a stage play sort of uh, TV movie. Yeah, this one is like more science fiction adjacent. Like I think it's got some core science fiction elements that we've seen in other things, but it really is trying to tell a drama, um, which I thought was interesting. I'm like, oh, this is not what we usually see. There's almost no special effects. There's no aliens or any of the sort of elements of fantasy or sciencey elements other than the basic idea that this is set slightly in the future so the technology is slightly more advanced so that astronauts can go to mars and then the results of that yeah and then it just becomes a human drama like that's what they're more interested in talking about Mm -hmm. before we get into it let me tell you a little bit about what happened in history around that time okay um it aired january 8th 1972 on abc and uh the day before that jordan Mm -hmm. richard nixon announced he was running for re-election and that went well right well, he won. I believe he won, so it went great. <laughs> but not for long. It's funny, mentioning Richard Nixon, I remembered one of the reasons I wanted to watch this mm-hmm. is I had read, someone online somewhere had published the speech that had been written for Richard Nixon if the Apollo mission to the uh, to the moon had been unsuccessful and the astronauts had died on the moon. Really? So there was an entire speech written uh, for Nixon to give in the event that that occurrence happened. And, and it's, it's a very good speech and uh, like quite interesting, actually. But it was like kind of like looking at an alternative, wor- uh, you know, alternative timeline where that's what happened. So like something about that idea was just like I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then when I read the like brief synopsis for this, I was like, oh, maybe this this could be an interesting show to watch. I wonder how long writers have to have like things in their back pocket ready to go. Like when they start seeing some politicians get really old, they're like, oh, we better write something that we're going to have to put out uh, to the press about this person dying. We should have that ready to go. I know uh, papers do that, newspapers. Yeah, I think that's pretty common. I'm sure there's actually quite a few like just ba- like backlogs that once a year you go through an update and like, well, if this person dies, got to add a couple more accomplishments. Like Prince Philip is what, 97 years old? Like they got a speech ready to go. I'm sure. I'm sure. If I mean, they're definitely preparing one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's get into it, Jordan. Let's do it. Here is the I'm to be summary for The Astronaut. Government officials, not wanting to have the space program canceled, substitute a lookalike for an astronaut who died on a Mars mission. And that was courtesy of Brian Vienne at Prodigy.net. Well, Brian Vienne, you nailed it. I think he nailed it perfectly. That's that's all you need to know. It's it's all you need to know to know what the hook of this show is. And aren't you hooked in? You're like, what? This The, the intrigue, the political intrigue. I, you know what? To be honest, I am hooked into that political intrigue. Yeah, no, it's good. It's fine. I can't I can't tell you're being sarcastic anymore. No, I can't help it. That's just what my voice sounds like. <laughs> uh, it opens up on some grainy footage of the uh, first man on Mars planting the U.S. flag that's being broadcast to Earth sort of like via the moon landing, sort of like a moon landing idea. Let me ask you, though, do you think it's fair that if you go to a different planet, you put your country's uh, flag? Don't you think you should put like a world flag? Well, I, it was a different time. You're representing the human race, not the American country. Tell that to America, Jordan. But I should say, this is 1980 that we're listening. The movie's made 1972, but this is 1980 that they're on the Mars. On the Mars, I said. We're we're in the future of this world where it's 1980, Mm -hmm. 81. They've sent a man to Mars. And um, there's a newscaster who comes on. It's great because it opens up just on this grainy footage. Like you at home are watching Mm -hmm. the Mars landing. And then like a narration starts. And I was just like, oh, wow. We're really starting like we're watching a documentary. Mm-hmm. And we come to find out Colonel Bryce Randolph is the first man on Mars, and his pilot, Doug Higgins, is up in the command module Voyager 1 as he plants the flag here. Right. But for the people watching at home, 
the feed suddenly cuts out. Something is wrong. We do get those great headshots of the astronauts, though. Yeah, they they sort of go like, here are the two astronauts you need to know about. And they're sort of like somewhat drawing, somewhat painting photographs of the people. I I loved it. I was like, oh, I hope you keep seeing those. It looked great, but uh, you only get it for a second. Yeah, they're like portraits of the individuals. I was also like, man, why don't we do that anymore? (laughs) I know. It's really good. We, uh, we jump to NASA, or I think they're called the U.S. Department of Space in this. I, that's what I was wondering. They never said NASA, did they? And when they when we see the sort of they jump from this cutting of the feed and we see the uh, sign for the U.S. Department of Space and they're all having an emergency meeting happening. The The public at large has been told via the media that everything's fine. There's no problems. The, uh, the signal just got cut out, but they still have a laser communication with them and everything's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's really happened is Colonel Bryce Randolph is dead. <laughs> And this whole meeting is to talk about ER1, which stands for what, Luke? Emergency Replacement 1. Yeah, pretty good. Did you uh, did you enjoy watching the footage? Because when they, when they cut, there was still more footage. So they later will show us the entire like clip of Bryce on Mars. Yeah, so what you basically have, again, like you mentioned, it's very grainy blue, bluish footage. And it's sort of like a long shot of the guy in his astronaut suit spacesuit i guess it is and uh while he's talking does it look like a fog is going into him or something is that what you kind of see because it's hard to tell i didn't get that um i most because it mostly it's him he starts ask telling uh, nasa to cut the feed because he doesn't want this to go live and he tells them like he's lost feeling in his legs and like mm. he can feel his arms going numb and it is interesting because you are it's handled so dramatically and like in a way i really liked but it was like watching a very sad death on another planet just like out of his control and he just knows he's dying for like 30 seconds before it happens you're right it was a very uncinematic way of doing the death you just have this shot of someone he's like guys cut the feed i don't want anyone to see this and you just see him standing there just i guess slowly suffocating is what happened you know what i was just like that's not a cinematic death you're right but like i was like you know what that's it looked terrible (laughs) like i was just like i don't i would never want to die that way I actually thought it was a a pretty um, uh, a good choice on this movie. And again, a movie that you have to understand, everything is very sedate in this movie. There's never, like, the moments where someone yells, that's the excitement you're going to get. There's not a lot of explosions. Actually, there's no explosions or anything like that. <laughs> not a so lot. So this sort of death is in line with that. But we'll bounce back to this meeting about ER1 that the uh, used Department of Space is having. The president is in the middle of an economic crisis, and uh, he's, he's cutting the federal spending uh, budget. And they're a little worried about the space program because the president's always been a bit of an opponent of it. Mm-hmm. They, uh, they have, he hasn't been a fan of what's going on with the space program. They never say who the president is, though. Well, it's, it's 10 years later. Who's to say who's going to be president? I know. They should have picked something funny, though. You know? Robert Redford? I guess it could still be Robert Redford. Everyone would still probably vote for him. <laughs> um, so basically, this sort of space agency is faced with a problem. They don't want to tell the president... Randolph has died in, on Mars because they're afraid they'll cut their budget as a result of this tragedy. So they're putting in this emergency replacement one program to bring in a basically a lookalike to take over for uh, Bryce Randolph. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, too, is this is like Bryce Randolph's idea. He came up with it before he left for Mars. Yeah. So they basically do that to go uh, to get you out of that sort of moral quandary of like, he's fine with it. Not only is he fine with it, it's his idea. Right, right. Did you did you feel like that was too much of a moral quandary if he, if he doesn't do it? No, but I do think that this, that little point and a few other that they make later on are ways to let the viewer 
not get hung up on stuff. And I'll just mention it now. What happens with the pregnancy? I feel like that's another point. They just sort of like, okay, you're on our side still, viewers. Don't worry. Everything's fine. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, I, cause I, you're not supposed to like the space agency. You're like, you're supposed to actually kind of dislike the space agency. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. Interesting. Well, we'll keep going through it. They they found a man who looks enough like uh, old uh, Randolph, a former Air Force pilot named Eddie Reese. Mm-hmm. Um, with a little plastic surgery, he's definitely going to pass for him in public. Is he of the Reese Peter Butter Cup fortune? He spells his name Reese the same way. That was my assumption. <laughs> well, if he is, he's really he's really falling on hard times yeah. because they keep describing him as a loser. <laughs> Yeah, the, the poor guy. So basically, they find a guy. What is he? He used to be a pilot, right? That was his thing? Yes, he used to be an Air Force pilot. He has some training, and he's not like a complete just everyday Joe off the street. But his thing is he looks remarkably like Bryce, to the fact where you might think it's the exact same actor. Well, not until after that plastic surgery, though. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, though, because they kept describing this man they were going to replace as like, he's a loser. He has no family. No one's going to miss him. And then the first scene where like they bring him into the office and he sits down, he's talking in the most like milk toast meek manner like, oh, I don't know why you brought me here. I'm so sorry. And I'm like, oh, he is a loser. <laughs> well, it's also to show the uh, the comparison where obviously we know he's going to become a Bryce at some point so we could have this very large astronaut voice. Well, and we do kind of find out what happened to him, why he's kind of, why he was drummed out of the Air Force and why he's a bit of this like sad sack now is later in the movie, we'll find out when he was a pilot, he was forced to eject from a fighter he was flying. Mm-hmm. And that fighter like flew into a suburb, hit a house and killed three people. And he kind of <laughs> just know. never got over that. Yeah. I mean, fair enough, right? <laughs> I mean, that was a rough backstory when they revealed that. Did you notice, this is just a little side note here, but there's kind of like a sequence where they give us all this exposition about ER1 and who they're going to replace him with. And then it clearly cut to commercial break and came back and they give the exact same like 30 seconds of exposition in a voiceover. Oh, I didn't notice. The only difference though is they say before the commercial, they're like, and he's three years younger than Bryce Randolph. And then you come back from commercial break and they're like, and he's two years younger than <laughs> Bryce Randolph. Is like, that right? What? Maybe, maybe it's been a whole year since that commercial break. <laughs> they bring Eddie in. They, they kind of like play that re- a recording from Bryce asking him to do this for America so the space program doesn't get cut. And we, you know, he agrees and we enter a bit of a training montage where we get to see uh, all the ways they train him to become Bryce. Most of the training is just him in front of a projector. And, and they, I loved it because it was like a training sequence, but he's sitting in a chair, you know, a dark room and they're projecting just like images. They're like, this is Sally. She's the gardener. Next, here's George. He's the butcher. I'd be like, well, man, I would never catch any of this stuff. But he's he's like, got it. Yep, got it. Next, got it. I mean, I think we're supposed to assume this is taking months, like the time it takes the Mars mission to come back because like, yeah, they're going through everybody Bryce has ever met in his life. He's watching film of Bryce and where Bryce is explaining to him his life story and like being like, now mimic me when I do this. Now mimic my voice when mm-hmm. I do this. And like, there's even like a moment where they, they, they have a fake press conference and start drilling him with questions and he has to like put on his best Bryce voice and answer. Oh, and they also in this slideshow, they go, this is your wife. She's pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like, before you know it, he's ready to go. He's getting plastic surgery and, uh, he uh, he's he's ready to become the man they need him to be. <laughs> now, in the plastic surgery, I couldn't tell. Was it mostly his eyes that were changed? Honestly, I also because it's the same actor playing both parts and it's supposed to be a subtle change. I, I felt like maybe they gave him like a little more like 
cheekbone or something but i i had a trouble like knowing exactly what the change was too like obviously his hair was different and i actually thought the actor did a pretty good job like you're saying he had a different voice different posture and all that was different but in terms of the face yeah it was like uh, minimal at best but again they chose reese very well because he's almost an identical match it's one of those things where it's like an actor you and i don't recognize maybe no one did but it's just it's tough to like be like oh he looks a little different than he normally does when i just like don't know what he looks like from data like the only two people i knew in this movie by the way is jackie cooper who plays kurt anderson who's the guy kind of in charge of the nasa type thing yeah and i only most mostly know him from superman movies he played perry white in all the superman movies and the other person was Susan Clark, who we'll meet very shortly, who plays the wife. And I remember her because she's the mom in Webster. <laughs> all these all these famous people for you. Yeah. But, but other than that, I don't know anyone in the cast. I mean, yeah, this is this is from a time period before before I recognize people. Yeah, fair enough. Um, there is still one problem with uh, this whole ER1 that the uh, mission director, Kurt, who you're just mentioning, mm-hmm. was supposed to have dealt with but still hasn't done anything about. He's really dragging his feet on telling old Bryce's pregnant wife that he's dead. For some reason, that's that's uh, uh, become his job. And he's like, yeah, I'll get to it. But it's really going to suck. So, And he even goes to see her. I think with the first time you meet her, he goes to see her. And she's going on and on about how excited she is about the baby and uh, Bryce coming back. And he's like, she built a nursery. Yeah, and he's like, eh, I'll tell you later. <laughs> he just can't bring himself to do it. And it's very funny because when we, when we meet her and they're talking about, like, you know, the nursery and the baby coming... She, like, reveals how much Bryce is a bad and mean husband to her. Yeah, they, they really lay this on thick. Basically, I think he he told her just before he went up to Mars that uh, he didn't want the baby. The baby's an accident. Him him being with her is an accident. And basically, he hates her. Yeah, they're all they're all mistakes in his life. He's, he's on Mars, and she is in a constant state of panic about what's going to happen when he gets back. She like really wants to impress him. So it's not like she's afraid of him in that sort of abusive way. It's more like Stockholm syndrome. She's terrified of him, yeah. but like loves him so much. And also Kurt couldn't care less. He's he's more concerned about just keeping this plan going. He's like, oh yeah, he's horrible. Uh, anyway, uh, that's a nice uh, color of the walls there. I got to go. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. And as he walks out, he's like, oh, hey, you seem to have a fever. You should get that checked out. Yeah. Here's a little side note, too. Did you notice in the opening credits of this how uh, the the wife whose name is Gail Randolph, did you see how she was credited in the opening credits? Oh, was she a special appearance? Yeah, she gets it like an and credit in it. Mm. But it was and as Mrs. Bryce Randolph. <laughs> yeah. They call her Gail the whole movie. Boy. <laughs> there was something else on this I saw. I think later on you see... Um, a letter or something and i noticed it also said mrs bryce randolph it was just so funny i just felt it was so weird to be like i assumed she'd be like in one scene and we'd never see her again they just like introduce her really quick and you'd meet her like here is the wife of the man who died she's the main character yeah she really is she has a name they use it repeatedly but in the credits she's mrs bryce randolph bad agent couldn't negotiate a better credit anyway the uh, the voyager one uh, is returning to earth uh, the space department makes arrangements with the pilot to have like a fake malfunction uh, during landing. So they'll splash down outside of the scheduled landing zone mm-hmm. and uh, they go pick him up in a helicopter with our hero Eddie now in full Bryce mode and uh, they drop him off in front of the press and Eddie makes a big speech and everyone's so happy to have the uh, hero of Mars back on Earth. The con is on. <laughs> it is. That's good. 
and Eddie's pretty good at it. Like there's a scene where he's like on a uh, jet flying back to headquarters and he gets on a, a, a nationally uh, broadcast call with the president and like corners the president to promising more money for the uh, for the space program. Yeah, he's good at improv. And like they're all very impressed with him. And he's just like, I'm glad you're all happy. But there's one thing I don't want to deal with. I don't want to go meet my wife because everything's gone very badly for Gail. Because as you mentioned before, that fever she had got very bad and she miscarried the baby yeah. in the meantime. So he's going to visit a woman who doesn't know her husband's dead, who just lost her baby in the hospital. And it's uh, things are getting real shady now. He's justifiably not terribly interested in doing this this particular deception. But here was my point from earlier. And I don't think this is a bad thing, but I do feel like the writers kept putting things in so that you would be invested in what will be the these two's love story as this movie goes on. And I think making Bryce a jerk, so you're like, okay, well, it's, it's okay, he's with someone else's wife. Also, he's dead. Um, and also, the fact that she had a baby and lost it. So, I, I know this is going to sound terrible, but it almost is like, well, these two are going to have to fall in love. You don't want this other guy's nagging child in the back, so let's just get rid of the child, too. I mean... And I, you know what I mean? I know that sounds bad, but... I agree with you. Like, they definitely, having him be kind of a bad husband was certainly, like, it was clear to me at that point, like, oh, this is a setup. We're going to, this is going to be a romance between these two people, you know, in that classic way that you like. What's that movie where the, uh, Kevin Klein fakes being the president and falls in love with his wife? Oh, I can't remember what it is, but I know the one, yeah. In that sort of way. I don't know if I found the baby thing to be part of that. I thought that was just like, an additional like tragedy for her to make the betrayal that much more like crushing. Hmm. Yeah, maybe. But I, I guess it just depends how you interpret it. Maybe. Um. Inter- I mean, you might be right. Maybe they're just like, we can't deal with a baby on set. Let's just get rid of this. But it just, it did feel like a real hard choice to make. And v- obviously a very dramatic one that I, yeah. I don't think they did badly with. No, they didn't because that's the next seed we really have is they still haven't told her. He comes to see see his wife, his, you know, fake wife, and she's in bed, clearly recovering from this horrible thing that's happened. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, her reaction's really worried about his response more than what's happened. Yeah, well, she's already afraid that he hates her and she just lost the baby. So she's sure he's just going to come in there and like blame it on her. But, you know, Eddie's kind of just is nice about it. He's like, hey, don't worry. Like, he shows a lot of compassion for her and... You know, she's pretty out of it. So she's just like, hey, uh, she's surprised. But she's like, thank you for not yelling at me. I She seems pleasantly surprised that her husband has come back. Not a jerk. Yeah, the bar for his expectations could not be lower. The fact that he didn't walk in and go, you miscarried and punched her. She was happy that that didn't happen. So I was like, Reese, this is going to be pretty smooth sailing from here on in. I mean, she did seem like that's what she expected. <laughs> it was, right? It's like the way she was reacting. I was like, it's the, it is the funny thing that is going through this whole uh, movie is that obviously they want to say that Bryce was not a nice person, but it's also weird that no one in the NASA seemed to care at all. It's like, you guys were all friends with him. He's clearly an awful person. You all knew he was an awful person. It is weird, right? Like there is this weird, I mean, it's probably just like a sign of the times where it's just like, oh, it's fine. This man is a garbage to all those around him. (laughs) He's an American hero. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, Eddie has a, has a bit of a press conference here where we're starting to see how uh, he, you know, maybe he's not cut out for this. Like after meeting with this wife that he doesn't want to lie to, he hits this press conference up and a reporter in the audience asks him a question. And of course, 
Bryce knows this person, but Eddie just like doesn't recognize like that slideshow didn't clue him in that he should know who this person is. Yeah. So he, he makes two mistakes. One, he clearly doesn't know who the person is. He tries to recover. He's like, oh, I think he calls him sir or something. And he goes, oh, sorry, it's been a long trip or something like that. And then he also he's too modest. He's not <laughs> arrogant enough. And uh, Anderson has to kind of cut the conference really quick because uh, uh, he doesn't want people to see how how not Bryce like he is. The report, I believe the reporter asks him how he feels about or if he's enjoying being the first genuine American hero in a decade. <laughs> and yeah, his answer isn't, yes, I am the best person ever. So like cut the, cut the press conference. Um, so yeah, the mission director is a little annoyed now with uh, old Eddie. He's not, he's not doing his part. He, should, he shouldn't be like saying, I had little to do with me. Mm-hmm. And back at the old uh, Randolph household, which he's forced to live in with his wife, Gail, his fake wife, Gail, um, things are getting a little more difficult there, too. She's happy. He's nice to her, but he's ha- she's having trouble wrapping her mind around it. Like she's starting to notice, hey, your hands are a different size now. And uh, when they kiss, she's like, this is weird. He didn't used to use his tongue this way. Neil, let me ask you. They, this is 1972, and this is, a, a, I'm assuming, a primetime television thing. When she notices that his hands are not the same size, do you think that was in replace of having a scene where he's naked and she looked at his genitals? Uh, I I don't think so. Seemingly, but seemingly, his naked body would not be the same as Bryce's naked body. We don't know that. We don't know they didn't do plastic surgery, Jordan. They didn't go oh, 100% top to bottom. They got the face and they got the dong. The two things that matter. <laughs> Ooh, uh, Bryce's left testicle was clearly bigger than the right one. We're going to have to make an adjustment there. <laughs> basically, what's, what we're getting from this, though, is like Eddie is basically feeling more and more uncomfortable with everything that's going on now. He's like getting berated by Kurt at work. He hates that uh, no one's told Gail and he just has to go to this house and pretend to be someone he's not. And uh, he's basically told he's just got to stick it out until Congress passes their budget and the Department of Space can uh, figure out what killed Bryce really on Mars, like kind of what happened there. They want to go through all the data. They need to get their money. They need to figure out what killed that guy on Mars. And once that happens, it's fine. They're going to give him a new face. They're going to kill Bryce off in a boating accident and he can go on his way. But he just has to stick it out for a little bit longer. But, and I think it's either this scene or right after this, the wife suspects something right away, as we said, but and she goes and accuses him, and he cannot lie anymore. Yeah, I like that, too. Like, there were two scenes of, like, oh, isn't it weird he's nice now? And then, like, your hands are weird, and this kiss is weird. And then literally the next scene with her, she's, like, in the dark when he gets home from work, and she's just like, who are you? And I was just like, great, don't mess around with it. Let's get to it. And he doesn't lie. I think she says she accuses him, like, are you my husband? And I think he just shakes his head no. And then eventually he tells her, yes, your husband is dead. And she freaks out. Oh, she is furious. And again, that's that's the sort of scenes you get in this movie, which are very much like a stage play where it's two people in a scene. They sort of walk around a room talking to each other. And then at some point there's some climax where someone screams or throws something. And then that's the end of that scene. It's it's very, very much like a play. Yeah, it's got it definitely has a chamber drama quality to it for sure. Uh, Kurt, Kurt comes by. He uh, he tries to salvage the situation. He plays her the ER one tape, finally explains to her what's going on. Like he like Kurt should have done to begin with the director of this mission. Um, yeah, he's like, sorry, just getting around to it. I had a lot of emails. <laughs> but uh, she, she doesn't really care. She sort of like threatens to expose the whole thing. And Kurt like pushes back saying like, do you want to disgrace an American hero? And he's he's just like, you think you're the only one suffering? 
Why don't you come to work and I'll show you the video of Bryce dying if you want to see suffering. <laughs> that convinces someone. I was just like, that's really harsh. And it was funny because uh, Gail calls him out in a meeting and she's just like, yeah, Kurt, and that's why I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that he goes from, I don't want to tell her because it's too hard to, hey, by the way, want to see how your husband died? <laughs> yeah, keep your mouth shut or I'll show you. <laughs> exactly. Once she like accuses him, like they ramp it up really quick. Like she's furious. Kurt's threatening her. Like the, like, the drama's like escalates very quickly and gets i don't know for me got to all the places i didn't think they would go to i agree at first they lead you to think that the whole movie is going to be how is he going to trick her the whole time but that's not what this is like they get that out as quick as possible yeah kurt's pissed off now at eddie so he's just and he's just like you can't leave here you have to stay in this house to keep up appearances and this is where we get into another kind of section which for me was the biggest chamber play part was like there's kind of an evening where the two of them are forced to be in the house by themselves together it's a tense night she's not yelling but it's a tense night she's like telling him to stop staring at me with his face and like eddie has a breakdown at some point and starts smashing every glass surface in the house and then just starts like weeping uncontrollably is is this where she says my favorite line in the in the movie where she says What's your name, plastic person? Yeah, she keeps calling him plastic person, or maybe like she calls him a, a, like a, a robot at some point. Yeah, it's pretty good. But this is kind of like the scene where they kind of get out all those like harsh emotions so we can like f- push past it into the love story after he starts like weeping uncontrollably and apologizing and just like showing so much shame. She like goes and gets the first aid kit and starts bandaging like all the cuts on his hand from all the mirrors he smashed. Yeah, he really does go nutso for a minute. It's true. And then like, They kind of have a heart to heart about like, you know, him and the tragedies in his life and her talking about her, the brutality of her previous husband, her dead husband. I did think there was a weird bit here, though, where they like Eddie tells her, he's like, well, I don't know about that. I watched all those tapes your husband made and I felt in those tapes like he really loved you. And I'm just like, listen, Eddie, all evidence says he did not. (laughs) No one has been defending him at this point. He doesn't need you. It did feel like a weird thing and that like from a specific time period where just like listen your husband might be a little mean to you might knock you around a bit he loves you though i i think though it's something you alluded to earlier though there's a little bit of like yes he was a jerk but he is an astronaut kid so he's all right you can do whatever you want when you're an astronaut (laughs) exactly at any rate she kind of comes around to cooperating on the plan and this is this is revealed basically the next morning when uh that reporter from the earlier press conference he he sneaks he pops by the house just to be like Hey, Bryce, my good friend, you seemed really weird in that uh, press conference. You know, like you weren't yourself. And then uh, we get the scene that we see that now the wife is playing along, mostly for Re- uh, for Reese and not for uh, fake NASA or whatever they're called. Um, because she comes down and he's like, don't you think your uh, husband's acting weird? And she's like, yeah, he is acting weird. Must have been the air on Mars. He's much nicer now. And the reporter's like, all right, good. Just thought I'd check. Yeah. See that, you later. He's like, that checks all my boxes. See you later. And then we jump forward one month. Yeah, they've been in house arrest a long time. Yeah, they've kind of been going through the motions of the plan. And, you know, we see them, like, making googly eyes at each other. We can see that, like, this month's been good to them, too. They've been having a nice time together. Yeah. But Congress has finally announced the new budget has passed. The Mars program will be funded for a further 10 years. Not only that, Kurt and the fake NASA, they figured out with the data they got from the mission how to protect future astronauts from the two new elements on Mars that permeated the space the spacesuit that killed Bryce Randolph. Mm-hmm. So basically, mission's coming to an end. So it's time for dancing. 
That's right. It's time for dancing to celebrate. Uh, Eddie and Gail, who've kind of been falling in love a little bit, they're like, "Well, let's get out of the house then. Let's go. Uh, let's go dancing right now." And uh, I like one of the guards outside the house is just like, "Hey, you guys, you guys can't go dancing. You can't go out there." Bryce is like, "Say, I'll tell that to my fist." Yeah, he gives them the old. Um, uh, what do they remember in Threshold? There was a very similar scene. Like, well, what's that thing I need to tell you? Like, yeah, here it is. Bam! Punch to the face. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie really cold cocks him. And then they they head out to dance. And this dancing scene doesn't really matter. It's just supposed to show them falling in love. But I was obsessed with that dance club. Did you see what the, the dance place they went was called? Well, this is exactly what I was going to ask you, too, because I was obsessed with it. Yeah, it's called the Senior Prom. Music of the 50s. <laughs> I loved it. That is the full name of this bar they go to. And everyone inside this bar is like... 20 years older than them for some reason reese only knows stuff that uh people at this point people born in like the 1930s would have done it was just yeah it was some sort of senior citizens dance club for music from their youth i guess it was amazing i really did love that going to that dance club i was like this is crazy yeah but the whole point is just to show that you know they've actually kind of fallen in love and there's like they really like like and respect each other and kind of want to stay together now and footloose was right dancing leads to kissing kissing leads to applause and then they're embarrassed. <laughs> uh, they they head back home where Kurt's waiting because now that the mission's over, they can end ER1, which means they're going to kill Bryce in a boating accident. Here's a question for you, Luke. So that was obviously the plan for the beginning. He's going to get out. I think even on this point, I think they're quite open to Anderson that, look, we like each other. We'd like to keep this relationship going. Um, and he's like, yeah, well, it, that sucks because uh, he's got to go blow up at a boat, uh, fakely, whatever, fakely. He has to go blow up at this boat. <laughs> um, but I guess my point was, why couldn't they just say then, oh, let's adjust this. Bryce, you're just going to retire. You guys just keep pretending that life because they're paying him anyways, right? I think I thought the same thing, but I think the issue with it is, is they just they, they basically want to end the charade entirely because it's just like too complicated and like, you know, it's bound to fall apart eventually. Right. Like the fact that it's lasted as long as it has, I guess, is probably somewhat of a, a lucky break for them. Right. So they're just like, we got to kill off Bryce. And this is where, in fact, Gail's just like, well, great. Kill me off too then. I'll start a new life with Eddie. Like, why are we fussing around? And I guess this character was probably in the rest of the movie, but I never saw him really. I never clocked him before. But there's this character named Jack who suddenly is in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. He's been in the background. He's been in all these scenes, but I don't think he had really any dialogue up to this point. He seems to be the guy who's in charge of like arranging all these like shenanigans, all these like fake fake outs and these mer- fake deaths and all this stuff. Like he's like he's their fixer, I guess. And he's just like, there's no way we can't kill you. It's impossible. We can only kill him. You know how long it takes to make a fake I- identity? It made me feel like uh, like stuff at work. There's someone's like, hey, we just uh, we're going to change the plan. You're like, you can't change the plan. Do you know how much stuff I had to do? They're like, we don't care. Well, we just did something on a whim. Kurt, the lead of the mission is just like, shut up, Jack. Just get it done. And he's like, oh, fine. Yeah. So the new plan is. They're both going to die in a boating accident. So in the morning, they head out to the ocean. They're going to get on that boat. They, they they bump into two dudes who are just walking by and are happy to see a famous astronaut. Yeah, everyone's happy to see an astronaut. I, I have a weird question for you, though. When they find out that they're, he's going to die, you know, quote unquote, die the next day. And he's like, that's Sunday. I was born on a Sunday. I was like, that sounds like it's something, but I don't know what that means. What does it mean that you die and born on this on the same day of the week? Who cares? I didn't even catch that. That's a very funny line. Well, he just said that in the end of the seed and that it was like supposed to have this like like a gravitas to it. And I was like, OK, it's just a fun coincidence. Also, who knows what day they were born? Do you know what day you were born? 
You know what? I don't. Yeah, who knows? It's weird. Anyways, that's beside the point. <laughs> now I gotta know, though, Jordan. What day was I born? <laughs> yeah, I know. Anyways, yes, some people come to ask uh, uh, autographs, and then I think a kid comes with his mom for another autograph, right? Well, there's kind of this, like, tease here, because after the those first two dudes, like, shake his hand and walk away, <laughs> I like that one of them, he's walking around with, like, a, a big transistor radio on his chest with, like, <laughs> an earpiece going in. He's just like, I wonder what... That old famous astronaut makes the big news, and his buddy's just like, what big news? He's just like, that the Russians are headed to Mars. Yeah. And this is kind of our big third act turn that's suddenly happening. It wasn't handled the most delicate way, but they get the point across. I will say, I, I was grateful. I did. I thought we were just going to... I didn't know what the third act was going to be exactly. I thought it might be like, they really kill them, or, you know, like something a little more like cynical 1970s. But the reveal in this third act is that, and we see this with Kurt back at NASA, is when he gets a call from the president. Apparently, the Russians have sent their own mission to Mars, which they just announced left. And uh, Kurt's freaking out because he's just like, when those astronauts get to Mars, they're going to die. And we will have killed them if we do not tell them they were going to, like, there's poisonous gas on Mars. They basically know this is a suicide mission, which they can stop. But if they stop it, that means they have to, the only way they could do it is to reveal the big plan they have which might mean not only will they lose funding, but it also, I'm assuming, they'll all go to prison for this. I mean, there's a lot of repercussions of saying the truth. Yeah, like, definitely, they're definitely all going to prison when this comes out. Yeah, yeah, I I don't think there's any way to avoid it, right? Yeah, Kurt tells Jack, he's like, call off the boat accident, get them back here, it's all over, we gotta, like, call, we gotta call Russia. But Jack's like, nah, I don't think so. It's a weird thing they set up at this point, because Jack and Kurt, correct? Yes. You have this very, like, somewhat combative tete-a-tete between these two, but they didn't set that up, at, as you mentioned, at all from the beginning. Like, it would, it, it seems like something that should have been seeded a little bit before that these two were slightly at odds with another or at least have two different ways of looking at the same situations because this scene sort of came here like, oh, am I supposed to know that these two see things differently? Yeah, it is true. They, I mean, Kurt's always been tentative about the plan, but he had to go through with it. So now he's mm-hmm. and once he goes through with it, he's like all in. But because Jack wasn't like a voice in his ear the whole time, seeing him suddenly pop up as the voice in his ear at the end was like, I'm like, who's this guy? And now we were talking about, you know, should you hate this NASA? I feel like you're, they played it up that I'm really supposed to dislike Jack. But again, I don't know if I ever really had that. I always feel like they they don't want to give that full, make that the NASA evil. It's just like they're in a tough position. They made a wrong decision other than... Did they're an evil organization? I mean, it's a good question because kind of what happens next is uh, Eddie and Gail are about to get on the boat. They're going to go. One of Jack's henchmen's there trying to hurry them along so they don't find out about Russia. And then, yeah, this kid comes by, asks for an autograph, and then says, Hey, mister, can you believe the Russians are going to Mars? Spot on, by the way. <laughs> um, at which point, like, you know, Eddie and Gail figure out what's going on. Like, their astronauts head to Mars. They're going to die there. They they're not going to let that happen. No one else should be dying on Mars. So they, they, they call up NASA. They get they get Kurt on the phone, and they're like, hey, Kurt, you tell the president right now, or we're going to do it. Kurt's kind of assures him. He's like, listen, I don't know why Jack conned me, but I'm definitely going to call them. And there is a scene here where I, like, Eddie's just like, I can't trust you, Kurt. You're a liar. Like, hmm. I know you think you mean well, but like you've all your credibility is shot. So like, I'm not getting on that boat. Hmm. If I don't hear the president announcing this in like three minutes, I'm call. I'm going to get a hold of the president. There is this thing where it's just like, I, I felt the end of it was just like, we've all, all of us have been tarnished by this lie. Hmm. And now that it comes out, 
we all have to take the consequences. I, I thought so too. I thought it was a, it was pretty good. Ba- basically, it's just like that's the ultimatum. That's that's it. And then we uh, we go to we see the couple walking down the boardwalk. Even their conversation as they're walking away, they're like, "We love each other. It's great. We're about to become national pariahs." Basically, they're just like, "Our lives are going to be destroyed now. So we're gonna we're all we're gonna have now is each other." Yeah, and she really gets it the worst because she's lost her husband even though he's an abusive husband, she loses the baby. And now this relationship is going to get wrecked. And she's like a horrible public figure. So she really gets it worse uh, than anyone else. But again, like I was saying, we end on them walking, have this conversation. It's kind of a long shot. And we hear Anderson calling the president and being like, got bad news. Got some bad news, Mr. President. Yeah. And that's how the thing ends. Yeah, that's the end of it. It's interesting. Like it has elements of shows we've watched before in some ways. Like, it had elements of like a Gemini Man episode or or maybe The Stranger or something. You know, doubles and plastic mm-hmm. surgery and like conspiracies, very very 70s. But like, it's crazy how grounded it is compared to like, it's just like, we're going to take these like really high level ideas, these really elevated weirdo, like there's a double and he get plastic surgery and he's taken over for an astronaut, but we're going to treat it with such gravitas. Well, it's not played for laughs or even played... Anything other than uh, all, all the elements of science fiction are just to heighten the drama. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what they're there for. So uh, everything is played very straight, as you said, very grounded, very realistic. It's a character piece of what would happen if people are put in this sort of situation. Yeah, I mean, basically, it is, that's exactly what it is. It was, it was, it was interesting. I mean, should we get to the rating? Do you have anything else you want to talk about? Uh, the only thing that I was kind of surprised at is I would have personally liked maybe to have some larger implications like i know they had to end it because this was so honed in on these two people i almost would have liked this to be a little bit bigger and see how a decision really can spiral out and how it starts affecting a more than just them i would have personally liked but maybe that's too much to ask for the time they had right i mean it's a good question like this one is, i mean the more i thought about it, i'm like this is a love story at its heart that's all it ever wanted to be mm-hmm. so a lot of that other stuff does fall by the wayside and you're right, like, it's, I think it's almost interesting about it, too, is, like, this is a jumping-off point for several different movies that could have had, like, I think this is a jumping-off point for The Astronaut's Wife with Johnny Depp. This is a jumping-off point possibly for that Capricorn 1 movie. Like, it feels like there's a whole bunch of directions you could have gone, and they were just like, in this particular movie, this is a human drama about a romance between two people who are in a tough spot, mm-hmm. which, you know, you've seen a million times, but, like... I don't think I've ever seen it with these trappings before. No, and also for all the things we've seen, I'm trying to think of something that's similar to it. The only thing that I can kind of think of is, um, what was the name of the one where they're looking for the alien medallion? Oh, um, Search for the Gods. Yeah, it's not quite the same, but it's similar in the idea of using science fiction elements to tell a more personal, quiet story. Right, right, right. I see. I can see that for sure. I'm curious. I'm very. I'm going to be very curious what you're going to rate this. So let, let's get into the writings. Okay. I'll start first. I enjoyed this. It's not a perfect movie though. Like there's, you know, there's still things that don't quite work out, and like some of the element, like Jack coming in at the end, doesn't quite like make a lot of sense. And you know, it could have been a little more expanded. I think because of the budget, probably it stayed very quiet and small, which is fine. I, I think some of that works. Um, but I'm going to go with a seven. I think. I, you know. I usually like a more exciting show, a show with a little more action and adventure in it. But for whatever reason, this hit me at the right day, maybe. And it, like this romance with these small Mars mission attachment to it. I don't know. It, it sat all right with me. And the movie was only an hour and 10 minutes. So maybe that helped, too. So I'm going to go with a seven. I'm really close to you. I was 
uh, I kind of uh, waffling between do I give this a six and a half or a seven? I, I feel the same way. I think it's a little different. It's not something I usually watch, but I think they hit the beats they were trying to hit and they hit them pretty well. Again, not really a kind of movie that I watch, but I thought it was executed well. I'm still going to go with six and a half because I think it was missing something. It did not quite make it a seven, but I think we're pretty close on uh, on how we felt about this. Yeah, we haven't talked about it at all, but I thought the acting all around was like surprisingly good. I felt the same. I was, again, I only knew two of the actors. I thought they, it's not that they didn't have a lot to work with, but it's just people talking in scenes over and over and you have to get a lot of information and a lot of emotions across and not a lot of time and i thought they were all very effective at that yeah and i mean it could have gone easily i mean it was was melodramatic but it could have easily gone over the top or like because you know they have to do some pretty big emotional swings at times in those scenes i gotta say webster's mom did a great job like i felt yeah she was good i honestly like at no point when i was watching it was just like well no human would act that way i was just like yeah i think that's actually a pretty reasonable response to that piece of information <laughs> yeah and and they set up an idea that made it from a to b and it made sense here's a thing mm-hmm. here's how people react here's the implications of that i, th- I thought it was it was a sur- actually really surprising how uh well it was executed and actually of all the things i saw almost everyone universally has good things to say about this especially people who watched it at the time yeah clearly this was a popular thing uh or at least it people liked it you know obviously didn't spawn anything or and it's not very well remembered but uh i guess it's not bad so would would you recommend this to someone people who love love stories i would actually you know what i think i think if if you going into this just know you're gonna watch a classic 70s love story with these trappings i think you do a lot worse i makes me actually wonder i'm like does Har i should watch more harv bennett stuff because does he have good taste is that what i'm learning well it's i mean i don't know he's he just might be someone who's just you know maybe a little hit or miss but uh i mean this this the writing in this is better than on gemini man you know for sure and i wonder but in gemini man was a spin-off of invisible man which i think he was on board so i like it's hard to know even like how much of that is him mm-hmm. it was just interesting because like knowing he's written all those star trek movies i'm just like is this a man in the 70s who had his finger on the pulse of what could be good science fiction maybe i mean we'll see i'm sure we're gonna see something else that he wrote too i i, I can only assume at this point All right, listener, thanks for joining us. Uh, If you have any fond memories of the astronaut, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And of course, on Instagram and Twitter, we'll have some clips from the show. Obviously, news footage of the man on Mars, both planting the flag and then probably later dying. Mm -hmm. It's a good question. There's not a lot of like exciting scenes. No, there's Um, not. Maybe him smashing up some mirrors and then weeping. His weeping was hilarious yeah there won't be a lot of like you know people ripping off faces and showing robot skin underneath there won't be anything like that oh we'll definitely go to the senior prom though (laughs) oh yeah i do luke i think that's what we should do after we're done uh, recording here let's go to the senior prom let's head to the senior prom we'll stand six feet apart it'll be great (laughs) Ooh, topical (laughs) all right jordan uh good chat with you and listener we'll see you next week bye Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Siedler. Produced by Jordan Delick and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes, Adam Wheatner, Jeff Hanley, Jane McRae, and Stephen Packard. 